Welcome back to the Flannel Boys Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Cyrus. That was a little uh, aggressive, Cyrus. Well, I'm trying to change it up. Okay. Why today are you choosing to change it up? I'm trying to impress Matt. Okay. Well, that brings us to our special guest today. Good friend of ours, early supporter of the podcast, Matt Carnavale. Welcome, Matt. Thanks. How's it going, guys? You know, it's going okay. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying not to make 2019 worse than 2018. Which was worse than 2017, which was worse than 2016, which was worse than... Get it? Yeah. Well, every year is better now because it's one year closer to sweet death. That took a turn. <laughs> Are you okay? Do we need to talk? <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe later. Okay. Anyway, we brought Matt on because uh, he's possibly the biggest Steelers fan we know, and that's saying something because I once worked in the same office as Dave Damashek. So Matt's here to talk about some Steelers drama. It's the first week of the NFL playoffs, wildcard weekend, which uh, is kind of uh, the worst like football weekend there is. The games are... Never that great. There are teams in there that shouldn't be, and there are teams that you wanted to be in there that aren't. So we're going to push wildcard weekend to the side and focus on a team that just barely, barely missed the playoffs. Um, so well, Basically, collapse before they even had a chance. 7-2-1. and one. At one point went in the season, finished 9 Seven and one? Eight, I seven think and was one? The um, how did Nine, they... six, and one. Yeah. And and they tied the Browns. They did. In an awful game, all <laughs> around. <laughs> Missed field goals, blocked field goals, no one won. Win. <laughs> it was like a... But you're still not upset about that. I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> and checking in in the cab. But uh, when I got back to the hotel, I was able to watch those last few minutes. And uh, uh, it, was, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. But <laughs> we weren't the, the team that gave the Browns their first win. That's so, true. Just their tie. Just their tie. <laughs> leaving the moon in that perfect Brown state <laughs> of never winning. My theory was that the Browns and the um, Steelers switched all of Freaky oh. Friday, and that the Browns are going to go up on this curve, and the Steelers are now on a downtrend. And I think the drama that we're going to talk about plays into that. Well, sure does. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season with the Steelers. Really? He's been the coach for like 10 years now, right? Yeah. he His, his worst two seasons were 2011 and 2012. Uh, both eight and eight, but yeah. otherwise every single game has been above a five hundred in season. That's pretty impressive. Hmm. Um, he's had a pretty long tenure there. Before we deep dive into the current drama, I have a question for you, Matt. Yeah. Uh, not for you, Cyrus. Not Cyrus. Damn it, <laughs> um, Matt. How did Sam feel about you uh, going to watch football on your honeymoon? 
uh, I was just checking the score over and over again. Okay. And at a certain point, she was just like, hey, you're going to keep looking at the score over and over again at this point. Uh, why don't you just watch the end of the game? Because I was getting very anxious that we were going to give the Browns their first win in over two years. <laughs> uh, and that's how we were going to start the season. Um, very, very dangerous situation. So when we got back to the hotel, she said, you know, it's your honeymoon too. You know, check the end of the game here. But I, I didn't watch the entire game. And, you know, you kind of expect when you have the Browns in town for the first game of your season, it's a nice, you know, it's like a college football schedule. You sign up with, you know, uh, Appalachian State, you know, you're Michigan, you're already <laughs> going to go, and all of a sudden everything's falling apart all around you. Um, it's, it's, it's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous That's a good, that's a good synonym that was, right there. Um, solid. Appalachian State. Yeah, that, uh, that really launched Appalachian State. <laughs> Everyone forgets about that. <laughs> It's a good reference. Um, okay, so let's uh, dive into the current drama, which is swirling around all-world wide receiver Antonio Brown, who, in my opinion, is the best receiver in the game. And he is... Uh, so he sat out Week 17, uh, a game that the Steelers had to win against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, which they did, but they didn't make the playoffs because the... Baltimore Ravens beat the Cleveland Browns and won the division and snuck in. We'll get to that later. Anyway, AB sits out, supposedly with a knee injury, but in actuality, he was fine. He just was beefing with quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, who is a, he's a great player, all, uh, all-time quarterback. He is also just a generally unsavory human being. <laughs> and he, he beefs with a lot of people, so this is unsurprising. I wonder what it would take for Steelers fans to stop liking Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, <laughs> he spent this season calling out James Washington, calling out Juju, calling out AB, calling out all of his teammates on his radio show that he does weekly. And he has a radio show? He, yeah, he has a local radio show in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Wait, it, like he's the host? No, he comes on and gets interviewed by someone. Oh. Some jag-off. Yeah, some jag-off. Wait, yeah. I think we could try to get Ben Roethlisberger. We could be those um, jag-offs. We could. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Matt, we, we wanted to get your opinion on the situation. Who do you think is going to bear the brunt of the blame? Do you think it's going to be AB? Do you think it's going to be Ben? Or do you think it's going to be Tomlin? Well, I think we've already seen that AB's bearing the brunt of it. Um, but that's not to be, you know, too unexpected when you skip a game. But the big thing here, and I, I was thinking all week when I, I agreed to do this, what's the, the spiciest hot take I could come on here with that I haven't really read? And I think what happened this year with the Steelers is they lost their missing piece who held the ship together, and that was Todd Haley. <laughs> and even if you Todd a terrible guy. Who likes Todd Haley? But everyone hated Todd Haley. And so when you have no one left to hate, all of that starts flowing around. Everyone starts hating each other. Todd Haley was the glue. So you just Steelers, kept the Steelers together. So that is not where I. <laughs> your advice is every NFL team needs one player or coach or someone in the locker room that everyone can rally around and just bully. 
I think it's just the Steelers. <laughs> just the Steelers. Because the Steelers are just a complete mess at this point. Um, I'm, I'm halfway between sell off the assets, rebuild, let's take a few years off, and can these guys just get it together for one second and focus and try to win a few games? Because arguably this should have been one of the best offenses we've ever seen. It's never lived up to that hype. Um, obviously the Bell stuff hung over them the entire season. Um but when you come down to the Ben, Tomlin, A.B. triangle, I, I, I see it hard to keep all three of them there at this point. Um, Ben's probably not going to, to leave, even though if I had a choice, uh, we would be figuring out a way to get and move on to the future. But you know, he had his best season statistically ever this past year. I have to interject because yes. Eli Manning also had statistically one of his best seasons, and he looked like completely like hot garbage <laughs> <laughs> the stats lie a little bit very sure uh so you got those three guys <laughs> stuck in this triangle of you know no win situation um tomlin you know you look at all these characters coming out of the woodwork all these people <coughs> doing all these negative things for team culture and who does that blame rest with i mean at a certain point it's tomlin's fault uh <laughs> that A.B. acts the way A.B. does, that Le'Veon Bell acts the way Le'Veon Bell does, that Joey Porter acted the way Joey Porter did and, and no longer has a job as of this week, uh, or, or any of his coaches. So at a certain point, who does that culture of selfishness, those divas, that implosion, that playing down to inferior competition that you hear over and over about the Steelers, you know, losing to Oakland in a must-win game this year, uh, it's, it's a perpetual failure, and at a certain point, it has to be leadership. So I've been a big Tomlin fan for a while, and I thought that there were some unsavory elements in the Steelers fan base that didn't like Tomlin for certain reasons. Uh, what are those but, reasons? What, what, what are, are those you, reasons? Are you implying? <laughs> Wait, well, I just want to, with everything going on, that some NFL fan bases could be possibly racist. There's a strong <laughs> possibility. I mean, at the end of the day, results matter. And if yeah. you're underachieving with a very talented team, at a certain point, that's your fault. You're the coach. You're the leader. You have a team that should be making the AFC championship game every year for the last couple of years. And, you know, maybe beating the Patriots with some sort of sacrificial lamb for the rest of the season this year uh, but at the end of the day, this team should have been getting at least into Super Bowls, playing for Super Bowls, and it just hasn't achieved any of those things. I think you're. I think you're correct. Um, the Steelers are. A, I mean, their defense kind of sucks, but this offense was a supremely talented offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think you're right about Tomlin. Um, in a nutshell. Um, I think I think it's a culture thing where uh, Tomlin was trying to build a culture that was uh, player friendly and sort of like people can express themselves, um, and I think that you know players did, and the Steelers have two of the most talented skill position players in the league, um, possibly the best running back, probably the best wide receiver, but they also have a quarterback who's like you know, like, kind of old school from from the Coward days, like, let's be honest, like, from the Coward days, and uh, he just 
like he just kind of doesn't fit in with the sort of like young fast like express yourself type of team culture that Tomlin's trying to build and you know like we shit on Big Ben with good reason but you know maybe it's just you know a, a personality difference at the end of the day so as a Steelers fan are you looking forward to having Mike McCarthy as your next head coach yes and you start looking at the statistics of you know win percentage and stuff like that year yeah. after year success his numbers really aren't that bad uh last time the Steelers played in the Super Bowl they lost to Mike McCarthy uh I wouldn't be terribly opposed to it um with the understanding <laughs> that somehow all this drama stops everyone starts behaving and things get better but that might not be the case either yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I, I don't think Mike McCarthy is going to be the next coach of any any <laughs> respectable team, if I'm being real. Let's transition to the future of the Steelers, which is looking a little bleak because um, the Ravens are good and they've sort of changed around their system to adjust for their new stud rookie quarterback, Lamar Jackson. And their defense is incredible. And then, you know, the Browns had a very respectable year. They're on the upswing. Um, and I know they're the Browns, but, you know, they're they're competitive. They're not embarrassing anymore. So what does this mean <laughs> for the Steelers and the AFC North? Do you think that uh, this, is, this year was uh, telling? <laughs> well, the years after Ben Roethlisberger were always going to be unless they came in with some sort of amazing Patrick Mahomes-like quarterback who just transcended and made everything run so smoothly that we didn't even know the spend was gone. There's going to be some years with no playoffs, maybe a losing record or two. It's going to happen. Uh, but defensively, there are a few young players I'm pretty excited about. T.J. Watt, obviously. Uh, if you compare his production in his first two years against his brother, very similar. Um, and he's a much smaller guy, so if he puts a little more meat on that frame, maybe perhaps he is going to be that next stud outside linebacker. Um, and Juju, you know, he's, what, 21 years old, 20 years old, something like that at this point. Um, he has a bright future ahead of him, too. So there are a lot of pieces there, and obviously the Browns are getting better, and the Ravens look good. I, I think the Ravens, to a certain extent, are going to get figured out eventually. Um, they came in the season with Joe Flacco, and then – basically flipped everything on its head and put Lamar Jackson in. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the quote today that uh, Flacco said it's not very fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it was a very uh, interesting quote. <laughs> I, just, I, I just imagined him also like kicking the ground or like a pile of dirt being like, it's not really fun being a backup. <laughs> it's funny because... Uh, Joe Flacco is, like, the least fun quarterback. And, like, it's going to suck the day that a defense figures out Lamar Jackson. It's going to, like, really be, like, like heartbreaking. But right now, he's, like, the most fun <laughs> player. His rushing numbers are absolutely insane for a quarterback. Uh, like, you put it compared to someone like Michael Vick, who might be the most prolific rusher as a passer. And he's just blowing those numbers out of the water right now. And if he had a full season, he'd be a thousand yard rusher. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's true. Um, Let's tackle 
Um, one more issue with the Steelers, and then we'll play a little game. Um, uh, get a tackle. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's all fo- about the puns. Fo- football. Football. <laughs> uh, first is, uh, do you think Lev comes back? Do you think they uh, franchise tag him again? Or do you think... Uh, he leaves, and they do this thing with James Conner, and then in five years, James Conner demands um, <laughs> a guaranteed contract. And <laughs> so the whole Le'Veon Bell situation, I think, is precipitated by a terrible collective bargaining agreement. I don't see us watching football in 2020. I think there's going to be a holdout. Or is it 2021? One of those years, the holdout's going to occur. 2021, um, I think. But this franchise tagging system is just complete garbage uh <laughs> there's no guaranteed contract past one year you're playing running back which is an incredibly dangerous position i completely understand Le'Veon bell's position where he's saying to himself hey i'm worth more than a one-year chance deal um granted if the numbers are to be believed the contract he was offered was not that bad and the Steelers just don't guarantee many years on their contracts and frankly they end up restructuring contracts which is you know, if you're talking about Le'Veon, or uh, rather Antonio Brown uh, and his trade situation, the fact that they restructured his contract so heavily actually makes it more appealing to other teams and less appealing to the Steelers because the Steelers will pay $21 million of his remaining contract regardless. Uh, but if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I'm sitting here and saying this is garbage. But the Steelers are sitting there and saying, well, we have a salary cap. How do we keep on and retain all this high-quality talent? Um, so you got to move to something like a luxury tax system, something where it allows people to go over the cap and, allow other teams to uh, really benefit from the fact that other teams are over because... You're just artificially depressing salaries at this point. Exactly, and the players are the ones suffering, and it's a multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. industry. Why, why are they not reaping the benefits here? It's, it, it's a terrible situation all around. And, you know, I think the Steelers are under their constraints. I think Bell's under his constraints. And I think it's all the product of a bad system. That's a very nuanced answer. Um, it's a... I think Bell goes Indianapolis. That would be killer. <laughs> that would be perfect. For Indianapolis. Him. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's a lot less biased than the uh, <laughs> hardline labor <laughs> um, perspective Cyrus and I took um, earlier in the season. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> we, we, we appreciate you looking at it from both an organizational and a player perspective. Hey, in the free market, you know, these, uh, these players are allowed to, you know, achieve their value. And there's artificial constraints on the market, which are causing uh, price mismatches. And, you know, it's, it's negative Agreed. for all people. Wow. So do you think Brown opens the season? Yeah. The Steelers? I think he does. I think they figure out a way to bury the hatchet. Um, Are they going to do like a ceremony <laughs> like corny thing like <laughs> they all hatchet? I don't know. If, if that's McCarthy's wishes. You know? <laughs> but um, I don't know what they're going to do at this point. I think unless you can get two first round picks for AB, it's not worth it. <laughs> and I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a buyer for that price. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's fair. I mean, he is, he is the best at the end of the day. He is. Okay, so let's, uh, before we go to our first break, let's uh, play a little game. It's, uh, it's called uh, State of the Steel Nation. And we're going to ask you um, <laughs> which political affiliation you think each member 
of the Steelers' starting offensive line has. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go one by one. We're going to start off with uh, left tackle Alejandro Villanueva. Oh, man. He he, he got popular really fast. He did. So I think he has this image as sort of uh, the, the patriot and, you know, rightfully so, uh, served his country abroad and uh, uh, came back to football after uh, doing his time in the military. Um, but I see him as, you know, kind of your sort of like apolitical type. I think of him as kind of your swing voter. Um, <laughs> you know, that guy in the middle that you need to convince uh, to come to your side. Because even, even through that whole situation with the, the, the anthem and the kneeling and all those different things that swirl, uh, swirl around him. He never really kind of took an explicit position on all of it. So I'm going to put him as a, a firm centrist. A, a military <laughs> man with a brain. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to... Uh... Also, this made me realize how good the Steelers line is. Uh... <laughs> um... <laughs> is let's good. move on to left guard Ramon Foster. Ramon <laughs> Foster. Um, so, Ramon Foster is the player rep for the Steelers. So, I'm going to go ahead and, since he's sort of their main labor guy, and say he's probably voting for either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders in this upcoming primary. (laughs) He's he's fully on board with uh, the progressive aims of uh, (laughs) both the Steelers players and and, and his his own personal beliefs. (laughs) Good analysis. Uh, let's move on to, uh, center Marquise Pouncey. Ben's best friend. So the, the, the rumor is, is the day Marquise retires is the day that Ben retires too. Um, so with that in mind, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because where, where do you think, uh, a guy like that falls on the public spectrum? I'd like to hear what you guys think, you know, borderline all pro. He probably should have been second team all pro. Um, <laughs> Um, it's strange. I also, um, I feel like Pouncey is one of those guys who will, uh, who will take positions that are opposed. Like, um, he He likes to play devil's advocate. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he might like, he kind of strikes me, um, a little libertarian, like a little bit of, uh, like, don't tread on me. Um, (laughs) So, so I was waiting for David DeCastro to go, you know, maybe that guy right of center because he's probably the most talented guy on the line. Um, and, you know, he's probably going to want the most money eventually to, for the, the product of his work here. And, you know, an independent contributor and producer. And so he doesn't want other forces holding him back. So he's an anarcho-capitalist. Uh, I wouldn't go so far. <laughs> some, some order here. Uh, you know, he is an offensive lineman, you know, but... Uh, that 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 was my guy. That I was gonna say, you know, if there's one guy right of center, I'm gonna go David DeCastro. <laughs> well, <laughs> that brings us to our uh, last uh, member, which is a uh, right tackle, Marcus Gilbert. Where do you think he lands? So Mar- Marcus Gilbert didn't play much this year. I think he ended the season on IR. Um, I think he's is either him or Ramon Foster. That's another Florida guy that played uh, Pouncey. Um, I think it's faster, actually, so I'm wrong there. But, um, yeah, so I, I think he's your voter who just never votes but complains the whole time. <laughs> uh, 
has a very strong political opinion, but he never votes. Thank you, Matt. That was very sound analysis. <laughs> yeah, making up reasons. <laughs> um, what do you guys say? We take a short break and come back. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, and we're back, and uh, we're going to discuss some hot stove action. The stove's been a little warm, but I feel like it's going to cool off until we find out where Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are going. So, Cyrus, why don't you take it away? So, yeah, no one's really been kind of talking so much about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. I think it's been a lot of speculation. I know Manny Machado got an offer from the White Sox, which was about seven years. For how much? And uh, that was not known. It was. It's kind of the length of contract um, has been talked about. A lot of teams don't seem to be willing to go above 10 years. So I know what I've been reading, like some teams have been offering them high annual value kind of so like making like 30 or 40 million dollars a year which is insane to think about or offering like a lot of opt-out clauses so that they could you know return to free agency in like two or three years but i think the issue is just no team wants to sign someone for a decade you know like right now yeah they're 26 it sounds like a good deal but players fall apart after like 32 you know you got four years paying someone possibly like more than 25 30 million dollars a year to have them flail and bat like 240 is not good so let's discuss an example of this like a, a, a positive successful example which is that um albert pujos one of the greatest players of all time is still producing for the angels yeah but he's still i mean you know he regret everybody regresses when they get into their late 30s yeah but i mean do you think that deal was worth it? No. Okay. Well, then there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. It like it, it, it. You know, and kind of relating it back to kind of you know, I guess you can talk about football salaries too. But the way baseball does it is, it's just so um, you're just paying for past performance still. So uh, and like that small window of a player being in their prime. So usually a player was going to enter free agency at around. Uh, you know, 28 or 29, maybe even 30, uh, and you're paying for that two or three years where uh, if they are, like, a stellar player, they'll still be worth it. Um, but then there's going to be that huge drop-off. Uh, you know, some players have been entering free agency a little earlier. Obviously, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, you know, at 26, it's a, it's a huge deal. Um, you know, they're still really young. A lot of prospects, you know, come up around this time. You know, it's not unusual for a top player to come up at, you know, 24 or 25. So, you know, for them to be entering free agency at this age shows, you know, just how great of players they are. Um, but, you know, again, it's paying for past performance. Like, uh, it's just not a smart move anymore. And, player, and teams are realizing that. Like, Bryce Harper... You know, you're paying for a guy who's horrible 
defensively who can obviously he's hit. He's not horrible Fred. defensively. He's horribly defensively. Yeah. I would disagree with that. Horrible defensively. Maybe pedestrian or average, but... Um, anyway, yeah, but exactly. that's someone who's not going to hold up in the outfield, and he's going to have to DH or play first base, and that limits, you know, teams that are willing to, to offer him 10 years. Uh, especially when now those positions are just... You can kind of find anyone who can hit home runs and then cut them the day or the, the season after, you know, it's just, I think the value on someone who can hit for power when they get older is just not worth it anymore. So I think a lot of teams are more willing to offer them, you know, again, like 30 or $40 million a year, but really limit the contract in terms of length. I, uh, I see you. Um, yeah. I know the nationals now are like really into getting Bryce Harper back. But the Nationals I'm... are kind of uh so Matt, you may have an opinion since the Nationals are kind of your adopted team. Um since the Pirates are trash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know, the Nationals are kind of like they're kind of playing a sort of gamesmanship situation with Bryce where they're like they keep on leaking information from their meetings with him and his agent Scott Boras. Um, and I think it mostly has to do to sort of scope out the market, play the game, Mm -hmm. maybe drive his price up for another team, like a division rival, like the Phillies, um, and just like putting out details of their meetings is sort of a way to scare other teams to make a move, which I think is brilliant. Um, the contract they offered Bryce is huge. It's 10 years, $300 million. That's insane. But It's less than what Stanton got. Yeah, that's true. But um, Stanton... Is that a good contract, though? I mean, for Giancarlo Stanton, it's a good contract. Yeah. But for any other team that, you know, has that contract on the books, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, if he tears his ACL or his Achilles one day, then you're... You're screwed as the Yankees. That's true. So, um, so I think the one piece missing from this Harper-Machado discussion is these aren't guys who have consistently produced. You know, Harper, one year is great, one year doesn't produce. And then Machado, you know, some might claim he's a dirty player from some of the things he's done. These aren't guys without warts, and you're going to put all this money into them. I think there is a little, you know, hesitancy. And if, if this was Mike Trout in the same situation... I think people would be signing them left and right. They would be doing their best and everything to get them. Um, but for these two, you have a lot of potential, but not the same production. Mm-hmm. I think you're right about that. I was going to say the point about personality is definitely a is a big deal because you know it's uh, it's kind of cool that Bryce and Manny have a personality and character. Um, it's definitely good for the sport that you have players that are entertaining and fun. But at the same time, uh, so some teams don't want that. I mean, they both are problematic. That's like we can dance around it all we want, but it's true. Like, you know, I, although uh, Manny's supposed to be a jerk, but reports are that like Bryce is a pretty good teammate. So um, yeah, I think you know, it's just I think it depends on um, who, which, te- uh, what teams value more. I think ultimately, and I think just because there's two of them, they may also be in kind of a cahoots. 
No, not cahoots, but I think they may also be waiting for the other person to sign to kind of set the market. Oh, because yeah. it's beneficial for, you know, the other one. So if, you know, Bryce Harper can sign for $350 million, it kind of helps put 350 in, you know, that range in Manny Machado and vice versa. I think Manny Machado is going to be a little more valuable overall just because I think he plays the infield pretty well. Plays, um, he plays shortstop solidly, and he plays third base elite. Yeah, uh, and that's, you know, something to, to keep it in mind. Um, you know, Harper, again, is below average outfielder uh, who, you know, hits well. Um, and, again, that kind of limits your your availability to kind of um, when you're looking long-term to all the AL teams to make that transition to DH. So I think Manny Machado is going to get more money. Hot take. I think you're right about that. Um, I have a question uh, for both of you. I think you know where it's going to go. The first is for Matt. Uh, Do you want Bryce to re-sign with the Nationals? Like, do you think it's worth it for them as a team? So I might be one of the most casual Nationals fans of all time. That's okay. Like I, <laughs> That's acceptable. <laughs> well, it's just like being a fan of any Washington sports team. I mean, <laughs> the, the Caps won, so my expectation is going to be one another 25 or 30 years until another championship. <laughs> uh, so that's just the, the trajectory. You know, you follow the trends here. Um, I think the Nats are somewhere between rebuilding and going for it all. And I don't think they've decided which it is at this point, and I think it's a dangerous proposition to, to where they currently stand because they have a lot of pieces they can ship out and sell, or they can kind of you know keep limping around like they're currently doing. I think, to kind of go off, off of this, I think the Nats have a lot of good young players, and they can spread that money around and keep a core and really go for it. Or they can sign Harper for a crazy amount of money. It'll probably be like $400 million. $100 million of that will be deferred till he's like 75. But still, record-breaking contract. Um, and they'll just be the team that wins the, a- the NL East and doesn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. I, I, I think you're I think you're right. Um, I think both of you are right. Um, Cyrus, your point about Anthony Rendon being like possibly Anthony. You have Anthony Rendon who's going to be a free agent next year. You know now you have Juan Soto coming up. It's Trey Turner. It, is, Trey yeah. Turner. You know the uh, you can you know you can try to sign your younger players to you know uh, you'll be buying out their cheaper years, but you can try to sign them for a long term where overall it'll be more affordable to you and you can let Bryce Harper walk. Um, now, would you rather have three amazing players or one elite player? Uh, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, which brings me to my question for you. Do you want the Cubs to make a play for either uh, Bryce or Manny? I'd be okay with Manny Machado. I, I don't like signing a player for that long, though, unless there's, like, some opt-outs 
um, or some decline years that the team can control. I mean, Jason Hayward, as much as I love Jason Hayward because he was on that 2016 Cubs team and made that speech where they won um, and made some and made some fantastic defensive plays in Game 6 and 7 of the World Series when he was in right field, that contract's been not great. I mean, and... He has a couple opt-outs that he could use, but there's no way he's going to go until he replay, rebuilds his value. Um, you know, having all this dead money, uh, it really harms the future. So I'd be okay with Manny Machado. Um, Bryce Harper, I would not be thrilled about. I think Bryce Harper would have to transition in a couple of years to first base for the Cubs, and it would just be a nightmare. Or Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, and I like Rizzo better. He's a good guy. Rizzo's, he's a good yeah, guy. Rizzo's kind of that, like, A-tone. you know, that old school, like, he's a player's player. He's a good boy. Kind of guy. Yeah, he chokes up on the bat with two strikes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't even get me He's started. like that. Yeah, it's it's one of those, as much as I hate those kind of guys, I also, like, when I see Anthony Rizzo play, I'm like, yeah, he, he's got, he's just intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> all right um i'm gonna ask you guys one more question before we wrap this up and you guys are gonna have to delve in because you know uh the like business and front office side better than me um a like basic ditzy art boy um, <laughs> like what is the i know in baseball they have the luxury tax, which is not the same as the salary cap. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's the difference and how like does that affect um, teams choosing or not choosing to sign Bryce Harper or Manny Machado? Well, like right now it's interesting because you have all these, um, like the Red Sox have been talking about how they're constrained by the luxury tax. The Cubs are, um, you know, the Yankees are, and the Dodgers have been the teams that usually go over um, the luxury tax, but the luxury taxes, I think it's around uh, $200 million for a salary, um, or for, for the total um, salary of a team, um, and anything about, uh, uh, yeah, and anything above that, um, the uh, team will pay a tax at 100%, so if it's a million dollars over that, uh, they'll pay a tax, um, and that gets redistributed to... Um, the teams with smaller payrolls in an effort to kind of get um, teams uh, that can't afford to be competitive to kind of allow them to be ideally. What's really been going on is a lot of the more smaller competitive teams like the Rays, um, the Brewers, you know, the Brewers, uh, I'm the trying Pirates. To, the Pirates are one, uh, the I think Pirates, the, Come yeah. on. the Cincinnati Reds, the Reds, those kind of teams. They get, you know, some team, they, they get some money and they um, can use that to, you know, sign players. Really, they just kind of sit on it and and tank. And, you know, it's the Cubs tanked. I totally admit that. I don't care. It worked out perfectly. The Astros. Um, the Astros. It works. Um, but, you know, these teams tank and then they get players and then they draft, you know, they draft them and then they trade them for more players. And it's just kind of like they're in this constant cycle of rebuilding. Oh, it looks like they're competitive. And then they have to trade everyone again. So it's, it, 
in theory it's it works in reality it's not working is this why the white Sox keep on popping up in conversations for these guys yeah the white Sox have a lot of money to spend so i mean and they can afford to you know sign someone for a couple years and then get good (laughs) so that's kind of the logic behind that it was kind of like when the cubs signed lester makes sense (laughs) yeah well thanks for explaining that um why don't we take a short break and come back with some more serious discussion okay sounds good okay we're back and we're going to do and i respectfully disagree matt are you ready to be our tiebreaker absolutely Okay, so Cyrus and I are arguing over the merits of cake versus pie. Cyrus, make your case. I'm going to say that I like pie, but it's a little weird. I'm not... I don't love all pies. Um, I don't like baked fruit. It's a texture thing. Mm -hmm. But I really love key lime pie. Just key lime pie. I really like key lime pie. I think it's I think it's the ideal the ideal dessert. And that's enough to say that pie is better than cake. Yeah. So Cuz key lime pie is sweet, it's tangy, and then it's a nice kind of like palate cleanser with the citrus after a meal, which I think kind of, you know, dessert's always a good thing to do with if it's a palate cleanser. Um cake's just doughy and big and lumpy and <laughs> so and is pie. Pie is gooey and gross. No, it's... What pie are you eating? Like apple pie, cherry pie. Well, those are the gross pies. Like, we've been over this. Like, baked fruit's gross. Whoever came up with baked fruit... So you're, you're talking, like, chocolate cream pie and, like, pumpkin pie. And I, I know you like key lime pie, obviously, here, but... Yeah, I'm more of, like, a... a, a you know, it's kind of a creamy kind of texture. The baked, the baked pie thing is gross. Baked pie's gross. Okay, well, I mean, I like cheesecake. Cheesecake is good. Um... I, I think cheesecake's weird. I don't like cake. the idea. Of, I don't like the idea of cheese and cake. You're missing out, man. Cheesecake is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, like my big argument is that like a stripper can't jump out of a pie, as Jim Gaffigan once said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if a stripper jumps out of a birthday cake, everyone's stoked. If a stripper jumps out of a pie, you say, "Go clean yourself up." <laughs> so that's my argument for cake is that like cake is fun it's uh i think it's more versatile and um you know it's a classic pies i, I like pie plenty but like the fruit pies are just they, they kind of turn me off a little bit i don't like baked fruit i'm just gonna reiterate that yeah, you've made that very i funny. agree with you You've made that baked big... fruits gross. Okay, I understand. But key lime pie. That being said, key lime pie, key lime pie is the is the perfect dessert, and you really don't need anything else. I don't think key lime pie is enough to beat like a perfect piece of chocolate cake for me. That's the thing. Okay, well, some of us have more complex palates. <laughs> Jesus, fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> Matt. What's your opinion? Yeah, on Matt. This? Where do you what, what preferably? You can you insult Carter? <laughs> so. The standard cakes are not very good. Uh, so like <laughs> birthday cake, whatever. But as Carter 
brought out, cheesecake is also a cake. And my favorite cake would be the ice cream cake, which I'd also oh, yeah. put in that category. And so just like you're arguing about the peripheries of piedom, yeah. um, I think, you know, the peripheries of <laughs> cakedom um, trump that of, of pies. Although there are some good pies out there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, ice that's, cream cake that's is solid. pretty amazing. I can't, I, yeah, I really can't. I, I feel like Matt's been the most... <laughs> okay, to be fair, it's only been two guests. Gary was... <laughs> but, but Matt is so nuanced and, and great at explaining things. <laughs> he came on here to make even fair judgments. <laughs> yeah. And Gary like, came yeah. on to riff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just see Gary's a foil in my life all the time. Okay, so. Well, that's, uh, we that's why we had you on. We needed a, yeah. we needed a, uh, <laughs> we needed a palate cleanser after the fiery takes Gary was spitting. <laughs> we needed someone with uh, weathered opinions. Weathered opinions. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's finish up with some pop culture recs, and we'll close out, Matt. Uh, do you have a pop culture recommendation that you'd like to make? Well, I did mention one earlier. Um, I'm not sure how much of a productive topic it'll be, but, you know, kind of wrapping this up with a nice, neat bow. Uh, Antonio Brown was on this new TV show. I don't even know what channel <laughs> it was. Uh, but he was the, the dancing masked hippo, whatever that was. And, oh, is that the masked singer? Yeah, the masked singer. Are you a um, fan of the show in general, or just... Did no, you see it all? never watched it. Sounds like a terrible idea. I think um, it's... They just boiled the... You know how, like, when American Idol and, like, America's Got Talent and all that, like, it's someone that you didn't think was gonna be good, but they're good? I think that's basically what they're going for, but with just cartoon characters. <laughs> Well, he almost won Dancing with the Stars, so maybe he's just trying to reclaim yeah. that. Uh, I also like that glory. Like, I like how this happened during this whole like beef issue because you know there are Steelers fans who are not realizing they filmed this months ago, and it's like he stormed out of practice so he could do this. <laughs> the guy's clearly not focused on football. Yeah, he's. Dancing around like a hippo. Yeah, exactly. You know that's that's gonna happen. But that's a stupid concept for a show. Uh, <laughs> you have a, sounds terrible. Start to finish, like an awful show. So you're not at. What, do you have a real <laughs> recommendation? A book? <laughs> um, a, no, we need more negative pop culture recommendations. TV series. So, so I don't watch this Bird's Nest or whatever it's called show. Bird Box. That's the one everyone's referencing. It was Sandra Bullock. On that. <laughs> What's the name of the show? Bird Box, <laughs> I believe, is what it's called. Bird Box. Yeah. Yes. That... On Netflix. <laughs> Have you all seen it? No. I've, I've seen the her blindfolded and going, oh, <laughs> that looks scary. I don't think I want to watch that. I can't. Uh, I can't see how it's a uh, good, but it seems popular. Uh, you can't see how it's good because she's blindfolded. Ah. Nice one. Supposedly, one out of every four Netflix accounts has seen it. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Uh, and there's only well there's three of us so 
That makes sense. <laughs> so Sam, Sam's definitely watched Bird Box then. She has. And uh, maybe the thing they're not considering is the fact that one, ten people use one account. <laughs> so it only takes one out of those ten people to watch it. Uh, but this is supposedly the stats on that show right now. <laughs> Thanks for your recommendations, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Cyrus, what do you what do you got this week? Okay, I looked this up because I wanted to make sure. I uh, I read an article in the Athletic by Robert Powell called "The Passion of Mike Piazza." That's your the recommendation. Mid- is yeah, no, no, because how the midlife crisis of a baseball hall of famer led to the demise of a hundred-year-old Italian soccer club. And can I say, as someone who knows a lot of Mets fans, Mike Piazza and his wife come off as genuinely horrible people in this article. The gist is, they bought an Ita- a minor league like Italian sports, you know, football team. That's been around for a hundred years, and in about a year and a half, they drove it into bankruptcy. That actually sounds worth reading now. <laughs> yeah, but Mike Piazza also, he reminds, he's just like every kind of Long Island, New Jersey Italian guy where he doesn't know anything about Italy, but really loves Italy. <laughs> and... He just comes off as, like, this gross Guido guy in the article who made a horrible business mistake and doesn't understand why all these Italian people hate him. So that's my article. Or that, that's my pop culture recommendation. Okay. Read, how, read how Mike Piazza is a horrible businessman and an asshole. Good to know. Um yeah. Unlike both of you, I have, like, <laughs> a normal one. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called, um, it's a show called Succession. It's on HBO. It's um, it's hilarious. It's about um, a family that owns, um, like, a right-wing media corporation. Um, basically, yeah. <laughs> but it's like it's hilarious it's a it's like a satiric it's satirical it's really funny um but it's also a drama it's like if you took the characters from veep made them like five degrees more serious and gave them a right-wing multi-billion dollar <laughs> media company and that's the show so carter i've, I've seen this show big okay. fan of it yeah. Uh, but Sam actually pointed out to me an interesting parallel with the show is a lot like The Godfather. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, the um, the family is uh, set up like that, and that's a. Uh, I mean, The Godfather was the first to do that with the Corleones, but that's like a good way to like like that like the arrest, like Arrested Development is um, basically The Godfather in a in a way oh yeah i can totally see that you know they're very <laughs> you know there's that banana scene with you know the corleones and how and how they have the banana stand <laughs> and there's always money in the banana stand and then there's that part where where you know say banana michael one more and, time and michael um in arrested development kills his brother job it so they're very similar no but like the concept is the same like <laughs> 
big family all like jockeying for power um and the the and royals, hilarity I think they're called in succession is also similar it's a really it, it's a really good show um and like uh the creator of the show was a writer on veep i believe it's oh yeah um it's just uh it's worth it (laughs) um so do you guys have anything else to add before we wrap it up i think that's it for me matt do you have anything well two big thumbs up the succession now watch that i will i guess i'm the only one that needs to watch that though you are (laughs) i'll listen to this episode and then wait I won't fast forward through the ad. I appreciate I'll, that. I'll, I'll remember the pop culture recommendations. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll... <laughs> yeah, everyone go and watch the Dancing Hippo Antonio Brown. Episode. <laughs> it'll, uh, it'll really cleanse you of that Steelers drama. And remember that Antonio Brown is just a da- happy Dancing Hippo character. I really like the commercials for those because it's only it's the, ju- the four judges and they're all like what? <laughs> what? How? He so came they're, out they're as like, a hippo. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're like, oh my god! Is that and that, that's the show. That, that's literally them just reacting. Hillary Clinton should do that show. It'd be hilarious. It'd be good publicity for her. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, cool actually, kids. you know what? You know what? I could definitely see like a lesser Democratic you know, person running in, in the primary like, going on that show to try to be like, I'm hip. It's like Martin O'Malley with, like, guitar. Oh, yeah. But with in I a hip see Jim Webb do that. <laughs> Would love to see Jim Webb do that. Everyone, you know, youthful Jim Webb. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta talk to the kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can uh, check us out on SoundCloud. Or subscribe to us on iTunes. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, rate us and comment on us so that way we can be shot straight to the top and become more popular. We'd like to thank Matt Carnavale for coming on. Matt, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Bye.